jungle. Welcome to Blackboard Jungle. So don't you fumble, just be This is Ems from Subatomic Sound System. You're in tune right now with the Groove Thief. Keep it locked. Obviously, Lee Scratch Perry is is a well-regarded and truly legendary Jamaican, you know, producer, engineer, musician, etc., singer, etc., etc. How how did the Subatomic Sound System connection really really first happen? And you know, was that was that a studio thing or a live thing or just one of those coincidences of the of the reggae world? Well, you know, I think that reggae is a, it's a global community and it's sort of an underground music around the world, almost more so I feel like than maybe any other style. And so I was playing guitar for a band uh, from Austria on a tour who was doing an album with uh, Lee Perry at the time. And that was maybe 2007 or something like that. Um, this band called Double Standard and they asked me to do some remixes for some of the songs and uh, they wanted me to do dubstep style mixes and when Subatomic started in New York it was me and a, a reggae dub specifically live dub bass player um, a guy named called Noah the Rhythm Doctor he had a group called No Shadow Kick that was a lot of the members actually of um, that went on to get into Easy Star All Stars, and he he was part of that. Uh, like Victor um, Victor Axelrod, a lot of people know him as Tickla. A lot of people know dub and, and reggae. Tickla was um, part of Antibalas also, and it's like he's a guy who's kind of gotten into a lot of areas of music. He worked on the uh, Amy Winehouse albums and things like that. So it's like an interesting community of musicians who were in the dub but it was kind of like one element of what we were doing we were at the time like actually kind of got together even in the late 90s and it was like jungle and hip-hop and dub was an element of it that sort of evolved over time i think when we put out an album in like 2003 or something like that one very rootsy dub song called our father our king that we put on there ended up being the most popular song on the album, which we thought was really funny because it was like this eclectic album that had like hip-hop and dance hall and kind of down-tempo-y uh, stuff, some jungle-y uh, stuff, and then just this one dub song. <clears throat> and we kind of felt like, although that was something we were passionate about, didn't really see that as like the path. But as time went on, we got deeper into it and ended up doing these remixes for Lee Perry that were theoretically you know, dubstep at a time when really like dubstep was just sort of catching on in the US and when I say the US like mostly New York this party called dub war going on but this um, cross-pollination of electronic music and reggae was especially dub was something we were really into it kind of you know it wasn't like we 
got into dubstep as much as the, the combination of influences that we were doing led us to something that sounded like what was developing in the UK. And, you know, dubstep there did develop out a lot of people who were kind of tired of the jungle drum and bass scene and slowed it down and, you know, combined it with reggae, which is essentially what we're doing on our kind of own path in New York. So from there, <clears throat> that led to us being asked to do a show with Scratch. Um, the first shows we did, it actually we ended up doing two shows in a weekend, and one was a secret show. The real show we were doing with them was at Summer Stage in Central Park, which uh, I don't know if you know uh, how well you know Central Park, but that's like a long-standing uh, summer concert series that um, it was like always kind of. I, don't, I wouldn't say I have a lot of musical dreams, but maybe you know two of them would have been playing at Summer Stage and you know getting to work with Lee Scratch Perry, and so. I got to do both of those in one day, and it was bananas. That was the first time basically playing with them. We also had Ari Up, for people who know um, the Slits. Yeah, yeah. That was a punk rock group who, um, you know, in many ways is responsible for uh, the influx of reggae into the UK punks. Ari, uh, she claimed she, she taught uh, Joe Strummer how to play reggae on the guitar and introduced him to a lot of reggae or I guess when she was a kid her family would go to Jamaica a lot and uh, her her stepdad before she sadly passed away was Johnny Rotten from the Sex Pistols so she was very much in the mix of all the reggae and punk movements so that was actually kind of amazing to have her in the mix and guys double standard too from, from Austria over there so yeah it was a really interesting cross-pollination it led to me playing more with scratch over in Europe and then eventually around 2011 I think I put together a dub festival and ended up playing with him in a band for a show for the festival and that led to us doing our first tour with him where the idea was that you know what we had done with these dubstep remixes was interesting and just unusual and you know, I didn't realize at the time how into, you know, pushing the boundaries he was. Uh, you know, it, it's like you think of, so many people think of him as a reggae artist, and most people are known for their work in a certain genre, it kind of evolved within the scope of that genre, but I didn't realize how much he kind of wanted to get into just anything and everything, and just the whole idea of performing with like a whole other element in the band of electronics and, and live instruments which you know when they wanted us to first do the show it wasn't really it wasn't really even completely clear how we were going to do it but the idea was that they wanted that sort of sound live and then what what type of <clears throat> instrumentation lineup were you using back then com compared to what's going to be happening happening on the tour now? Yeah, you know, the very first show that I played with him was more of a traditional band setup, and I was playing guitar and maybe some melodica. And uh, we had a horn section, percussion, um, you know, bass, drums, so on. Um, sometimes we had backing vocals. We really did like a, a kind of a rotating combination. In a way, uh, in a way, for people who are familiar with Thievery Corporation, the live show that they developed was something that we were doing separately without even knowing, or you know, before they were doing what they were doing. 
we were doing that all of the time in New York at um, a, a lot of like uh, loft parties and uh, like warehouse parties that uh, a lot of, some of them were like loosely related to you know people who were into like underground party scenes like Burning Man and stuff like that we weren't involved in that but it was very eclectic at those parties and it was interesting to see like the effect of playing reggae and that type of stuff you know kind of combination of reggae and electronic music to crowds that weren't really familiar with it and having it go over great and we're used to having a bunch of different singers and different in instrumentation sort of being like a collective so when we start out with scratch we were rotating through you know different combinations of people um the core group, though, we've always included Larry McDonald on percussion, who has worked with Scratch since back in the days of the Black Ark and recorded with, um, you know, even before him, uh, with Count Ossie, the original kind of Nyabingi, you know, development of like <clears throat> Nyabingi drum group. And, uh, you know, with the Scatolites, recorded, um, well, played live and later recorded with, um, you know, Bob Marley and Peter Tosh. And uh, so it, it was interesting because the band was really cross-generational, too. I mean, now Scratch is coming up on his 83rd birthday. Larry's 81, going on 82. And uh, both those guys are just like a very inspiring example of how age is, really has nothing to do with your outlook, your you know, youthful, creative outlook on life. And um, so having Larry in there from the get-go, we started out uh, oftentimes with um, live bass and horns. The, the tour we're doing now is more horn-related because going back and doing an album like Blackboard Jungle, which we're going to do uh, on this tour, and uh, before that we've done a Super Ape album, that era of the 70s uh, recordings by Perry, I felt like the horn and percussion was really like a crucial element of that sound a real crucial element of the black arc studio sound that was you know his studio where he, you know really kind of came into his own as a producer yeah so how much have you you know over the years um immersed yourself in that that black arc catalog you know how how much have you let um scratches past work affect your involvement with him versus you know just approaching it with a, with a fresh vision for for you know current times yeah i mean to be honest we kind of went backwards in time in a way we started with him and initially he didn't really want to be doing a lot of old music he wanted to do a lot of new stuff like i said he wanted to work with us because of the the dubstep stuff and that became very popular at a certain point you know, I think probably with the dawn of Skrillex, it kind of killed it because then that sort of left turn for dubstep really didn't have anything to do with reggae anymore. And, um, you know, so we kind of stopped trying to have that association to a certain extent. But what we did instead was ins instead of having it be like uh, kind of remixes of songs where there were elements of that and then, you know, totally new elements really trying to go back into that catalog and find songs that we could, I want to say modernize, but combine with elements that were newer. I mean, just the whole format of the band, the fact that there's like electronics and old instrument, you know, traditional instruments playing, you know, old original parts, that in itself made it different and just figuring out what music of his fit best into that format 
and how to make it more seamless so it didn't like it you know when we first were playing sometimes we do like what sounded like a dubstep track and then what sounded like a jungle or drum and bass track and then something sound like a reggae track and instead we've now kind of made it so in a way it flows seamlessly through these elements you kind of hear like hints of different styles come in and out and to me it's like um it it it's really kind of capturing like an evolution of his aesthetic and in a way our aesthetic because it's been based on what he it's built on the shoulders of what he created you know i know with with the super ape album that you know you also worked with the the track listing and made sure to have um you know dub versions at the end as well to make sure that it, it you know it it's definitely a, a fresh thing rather than uh, you know whatever a, a remix album or yeah. something like that. But we did this whole tour for the 40th anniversary of Super 8, and in the process of doing the tour, you know the original album is so sort of meditative and sparse that to bring it live, it wouldn't. I don't think it would have been that compelling as a live show. There's a lot of music I love to listen to, but going and standing in a dark room for an hour or two listening to it isn't really the optimal way to enjoy it like the original album is best enjoyed just kicking it relaxing but we wanted something that took that you know those same songs and, and instilled it with more of a you know just energy just made it more more hype and you know the direction of a lot of reggae especially in europe is a lot more of the kind of steppers uh, um you know josh shaka inspired beats where it's quite high energy and I just found that a lot of those uh, songs on that album lent themselves to that sort of evolution and it made for a great live show and we found that in many ways we stretched them out we added other elements especially in say like the horn sections we just found that where there was like a really kind of compelling synergy with African horn lines especially like Ethiopian jazz and that you know those were the kinds of things that were actually you know, Scratch was very influenced by the African drums and a lot of melodies and was, you know, that's a fascination of his already. And just kind of extending those influences in the music also made sense. And that's something that really has nothing to do with the technology, the electronics. That's actually kind of, again, going back in time, but bringing that is like kind of an expanded dimension to the to the music so yeah it's not like trying to recreate or remix as much as just sort of use those um that music is a is a blueprint for you know what what else can we can we create from that which i think is sort of at the core of what's interesting about dub and scratch is that i think he's a guy who's given blueprints to people all over the world across generations and across genres you know it's why you find like for us we love to play in front of different sort of audiences you know i go play at an electronic music festival one day and like uh, a reggae festival another day like we uh played at a, a big techno club called output in uh, brooklyn uh, last year and that was you know uh, that was crazy i think that was one of the first ever live shows they ever had in there on a big function one sound system and you find that across different genres you know punk rock for example hip-hop like scratch as a producer is that influence an influence on so many people and uh, that's part of what 
makes this music to me interesting is the way that it's connected to all these genres that are you know commonplace today that people might otherwise not realize had a connection to reggae or dub but but even even you're you're willing to say theoretically since i know there's a lot of controversy about there's a lot of controversy you know i mean really yeah and i mean really dub started as b-sides for 45s you know kind of accidentally but i would say that um, lee perry was what i feel like distinguishes him is he was someone who was always first of all focused on kind of putting the producer you know i think even before that album he was showing up as a producer but as the artist on the cover of the album he was doing a lot of stuff with instrumentals and then he started to get into you know working with with effects and use that as sort of a whole concept and certainly his take on dub is different than scientist or king tubby and i think that's what makes all of those guys great and interesting you know i mean some people say um the Augustus Pablo Java 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 album which came out in 1973 was I've heard that people say well that's the first dub album but to me that's an instrumental reggae album and I love Augustus Pablo and some of his later stuff a lot of stuff he actually worked recording um, you know rhythm tracks at the Black Ark whether Scratch mixed them or not and I know Scratch actually they were good friends he has like, enormous respect for Augustus Pablo but um I feel like, yeah, I feel like legitimately that's that's a fair that's a fair claim, you know. So um, I'm curious, you know, as far as for for the Blackboard Jungle Dub live performance, how is yes. that going to connect to the Super Ape Returns to Conquer album as far as style? You know, like, are we going to be hearing Blackboard Jungle Dub style <laughs> yes. extended and more bass heavy, or are we going to get some of the kind of original um actually i would say both i would say both um you know like i said a lot of what we've done over the years is kind of combining things more but stretching further so there are a few things that we do that really sound old school like it's right off the album which i think is cool to bring that to people in a live environment but then there are a lot of things that no we're going to take them and we're going to yeah they're going to be a little more bass heavy they're going to be a little more hype and we're going to kind of extend some of the themes you know like say the the the, the title track blackboard jungle you know just extending on what's there with those with those horn lines and melodies and and um you know one big difference is that this the music on this album is a, a bit more up tempo so those different tempos make a difference too and um with super ape tendency was it was a lot of slower songs that we were able to put kind of steppers beats under kind of a double time feel and have a little bit more that european like josh shaka dub style especially in the live show more more than even on the album but with blackboard jungle i feel like it's um that era scratch was really heavily influenced by a lot of american r&b in fact some songs on there I learned in the process, I hadn't realized that Keep On Moving, the famous Bob Marley song, which we later we recorded, I don't remember what album that was on, but originally we recorded it with Scratch, and it was a bit of an up-tempo, almost like a ska reggae, you know, slower than ska, but, you know, a kind of up-tempo reggae tune. I was always confused by the lyrics, because it's the, the Wailers singing it, and uh, they talk about their oldest son and i was thinking wow peter tosh is singing about kids i don't think he even had kids at that point and then bob is singing about something about a 
performance. I, I'm forgetting the lyric right now, but I was like, that's weird because I don't think he had. I think he maybe had one kid or no kids at that time. So why is it? Why, what's up with these lyrics? Because his later version, Bob puts his own kids' names into it. But anyway, let me get to the point. Point is that that was actually originally a song written by Curtis Mayfield for The Temptations. So it was like a American R&B song. And a lot of the music in that time period, um, that early reggae stuff, was faster than what came later in the 70s. So there's definitely a different tempo. Uh, uh, it's a little more up-tempo, and it's also a little more kind of soul-influenced. Whereas I think a few years later, when he did Super Ape, I almost feel like it was a little more um, African-influenced, Nyabingi-influenced. But, I mean, he, he really pushes people, you know, a lot of things that he'll just say to you. I mean, I, I think that his greatest gift is to inspire other people to find greatness in themselves. And one of the ways he does that is by never telling people what to do. You know, musicians he worked with, I'll say they did their greatest work with him. And uh, I think that's because, you know, when you look at the format of our group or what we're doing with his music, like there was a review of a show recently where someone said, you know, Usually when you go to see an older artist, you're kind of hoping it's going to be decent, but you're expecting they're just going to rehash their hits. But they said when I went to see this Blackboard Jungle show with Scratch and Subatomic, it wasn't that. It was Maybe it was the songs, but the whole thing felt fresh and new, like I was experiencing a whole new style of music, even though it was that music from 45 years ago. So... I mean, that was a great compliment. That was what we want people to feel like when they experience the music, is that, you know, I, I mean, on one hand, you could say a lot of music today, people try and make it sound familiar, even though it's new, but I don't think it's that. You know, the point is that it's something that we're building off of to make an evolution of the, the spirit of that, you know. To me, that's, that's why this music resonates with so many people is that it it is old but crucially it's fresh yeah <laughs> i was talking to um a guy i know programs music for a fountain uh, uh his name's james wetzel for this big uh, fountain in seattle center in seattle um it's kind of like a I don't know what an analogy is, but it's a scenario where people gather in the city. <laughs> it's got a big fountain, they have music, and he was talking about how he put some music of mine in there recently, and it was actually from the early 2000s, but he was saying it was really interesting because he put it in, somehow he was expecting for it to sound older in the middle of the mix, but he said it did and it sounded like you didn't know if it was just created yesterday or, or, or when, and I think... You know, I want to, not to sound like I'm complimenting myself, but like, I think if you're making music and you achieve the goal of conveying a feeling, if you can do it in a way that doesn't sound like it's locked in a time or a genre, it's kind of got just like a time, out of time element, timeless, then like that's a real goal, you know, that's a, like you've achieved something with that. Yeah, you know, one funny review we got out of the Super 8 Returns to Conquer album, um, it's a reviewer in Germany, I think it was for uh, Rhythm Mag, which I, I love that magazine, so I was excited to see that they had done a review of it. I had to translate it from German because it's the German version, but he said something to the effect of um, when 
listening to the album at first he was thinking he didn't recognize he thought it sounded great but he wasn't really sure what was different and then went back to the original album and said that the funny thing was the new album sounds like what he remembered the original album to sound like in the sense that you know when you oftentimes older music is has some production value limitations and that you know big part of the new album was like i said just extending the frequencies and things like that so you know it sounds consistent in a way with music that's produced today even though it's got you know something from a previous era Sometimes in your head, you you know, your memory of music from decades past is in a way like updates the music. Your recollection of it updates it to sound consistent with like what you're hearing today. But when you go back and listen to it, you realize, oh wow, it's much quieter, the bass is the way I thought it is when you play it back to back with this track. But the feeling you got when you first heard it, you remember that. You know, and I think that's part of what I like to do with not just Scratch's music, but our own music, is get that feeling of like, ah, oh, you know, this is kind of transporting me back to sounds of music that um, that I loved, especially for people who are reggae fans, like a lot of old dub. You know, you, one of the problems is it's hard to play in like a DJ set just the way it's produced, even though it sounds great on its own. It can be hard to play with like more current stuff, and so the idea of being able to have that music and be able to integrate it into with like you know newer recordings without kind of losing like the charm like not the sparkle but the opposite of the sparkle like the dustiness of the old original recordings especially when it comes like the black arc like that murky sort of smoky underwater vibe you you mentioned your own productions um you know once this tour is wrapped up or maybe even during it how you you balance your your studio time and touring time but uh but what all's on on the horizon for for subcomic yeah well i mean we do actually we actually recorded um the whole like blackboard jungle dub album before the tour the opposite of what we did with the super ape um in fact we recorded some of the super ape stuff we record some of this but it's not totally done and mixed and Scratch had asked about putting you know, putting it out, but he's got some other albums coming out. He's had an album up before too with Adrian Sherwood coming out in a couple months and some other stuff, so just for his release schedule it's gotta, you know, just fit it fit in where it can get in. Um, and it's not finished, but we're trying to get a subatomic album completed before that, which has been we're kinda like Dr. Dre with his, you know, sequel to the Chronic album. It's just like <laughs> It's been like a decade of trying to get get an album done. We have such a backlog of music, but you know, it's just been kind of weird the way music has evolved with the whole like digital. You know, we used to do a lot more um, vinyl and occasionally did some CDs, but we we're mostly doing like vinyl and digital and the way like digital is moved to like a streaming format and the way uh, just marketing of music. It's just like that whole business side has been really kind of discouraging. And I think we've just gotten so focused on kind of developing our sound and style and the live show because I just feel like live is such an important element of music these days. You know, I've 
taught music for quite a while in New York at a school called Dubspot. And the one thing I found was a lot of people are making great music, but it's almost like anyone with a laptop and some musical talent can make some pretty, pretty compelling music these days. But very few people can go out and do any sort of compelling performance that has any sort of chemistry between musicians or anything that you know is really worth watching. This is M from Subatomic Sound System. You're tuned in to KGNU with Reggae Transfusion. Respect my dish. Respect, 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 respect.